Welcome to Spotlight On, your Griffith College alumni podcast. We are delighted to welcome David Stapleton, who studied a BA in Business Studies with Griffith College, graduating in 2009. Today's podcast will shine a spotlight on David's academic and career achievements to date. Uh, David is the founder and CEO of Boofit, an outdoor fitness app that will help you find the perfect outdoor fitness class for you in and around London. Boofit offers thousands of outdoor and online fitness classes with top trainers all over London with a variety of class, classes to choose from. Uh, Boofit offers a la carte fitness in a few tabs under no contract. So welcome, David. Thank you so much for coming on today and, and for giving up your, your time. I know we've, uh, we've chatted on, on several occasions previous to this, so um, I am already excited for this conversation. I know that it should be uh, an interesting uh, kind of walk through your journey uh, from Griffith College right the way through to, to where you are now. So um, I guess first kind of question is, um, can you tell us about your current role and about um, Boofit, the, the fitness app? Yeah, many thanks for having me, Alex. Um, my current role, it would most certainly kind of flip between kind of two um, activities, which would be the day-to-day -day running of the business to the business that we're building of the future. Um, amongst that, you would have a number of responsibilities from um, working and reporting with investors, making sure that um, everyone that's working with me and on my team is happy and has the resources and tools that they need to uh, perform to the best of their abilities. Um, and then I think most importantly, um, is having a, a huge level of accountability. Um, I think that's a big, big um, aspect of any founder or CEO's role. It's all well and good, you know, uh, when things are going really positive and driving forward, but just always being the man that's responsible for when things go wrong, even when I might necessarily be involved in that particular circumstance or situation so um that would be it in kind of summary and then my day-to-day -day role would deal with everything from uh, working with the product team uh doing sales and marketing um speaking with investors and meeting people um that have anything got to do with boo if it internally or externally <clears throat> Excellent. So a jack of all trades then. Um, sounds like you've got a lot on your plate. I was, uh, I was chatting to you just at the start about, about workloads and it definitely sounds like you've got, you've got a lot going on there. So um, I guess for, for listeners and for the, for the audience, um, maybe we could start with where did the idea of, of a fitness app come from and, and how did that kind of evolve over time? Yeah, good question. I think where the idea originally came from was evolved from a problem you know um i have been very active from a young age i mean you name the sport or the activity and um, i definitely tried it or was very serious about it at some stage in my life from being a kid up until my kind of like mid-20s still keep very very active and um train six times a week at a minimum kind of um in my early 30s and um, it just all came from being a consumer of fitness and starting to understand how um, trainers operate in the industry where they're self-employed and they come out of a qualification where they, they don't have, um, in the majority perspective, business skills or sales or marketing skills. And um, so that was the kind of core problem that I identified from having trainers that were um, mates and friends chatting to them over a beer you know over them asking for some tips around you know sales and marketing stuff kind of that that's always been my background um, and then really kind of delving into how to solve the problem for trainers and looking at the consumer market um, and I think the core problem that we solve um, definitely comes down to innovation in kind of two ways um, the most obvious one is innovation in terms of technology and providing a solution to a problem on both sides of our marketplace, which is consumers that choose to book into outdoor classes and trainers that choose to start and run an outdoor fitness business. 
Um, but then more, most importantly, I think what we're doing different is by, in terms of innovating by better servicing an underserviced market. And I think that um, the fitness industry as a whole is very much so. Um, taking advantage of trainers is probably not the right way to phrase it, but how the business um, and how the industry operates is 98% in the indoor market. Um, which never made any sense to me and having uh, the whole industry being run in the indoor market um, causes issues because it's very expensive there's huge overheads convenience is the number one purchasing driver in fitness which means all these places need to be on high street locations um, so the, 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 the gap that we identified on the consumer side was wait hold on a second us humans are born to be outdoors. Outdoor fitness is proven to be the healthiest format to exercise in the world. And then you marry that up with a group. Um, it, it, it kind of accelerates results for the consumer even better. And when we looked at the outdoor market and saw that there was no real technology uh, to connect, that was kind of the moment because I knew by promoting outdoor fitness and giving the consumer a dynamic uh, way to find book um, and train into multiple classes, we'd solve the problem for the supply side of, of our business, being trainers, yoga teachers, fitness professionals. Um, so it was a very, it was very much so kind of spotting a problem and then a few different problems and putting the pieces of the puzzle together with one kind of solution and that's how BooaFit was born. Thank you, that's um, uh, an excellent explanation of kind of where, it, where it's come from and um, yeah, it, it almost reminds me of um, the, the kind of Dragon's Den uh, summary of, of a lots of, of things that you see yeah, on, on that, that show where uh, the person who's closest to it just knows it like the back of their hand. And, and yeah, thank you very much for, for surmising that for me. I guess this kind of rise of, um, of, of apps and kind of um, the a la carte, you can choose what you want and look at the rise of Uber and those sorts of things. This, this, this app obviously fits into that kind of similar sphere where people are choosing their own fitness regimes and they don't want to be stuck into a contract. And, and it, it's great to see and it's been great to kind of witness how it's it's risen um, quite quickly, uh, and obviously the, the last conversation that we had, um, you know, it's it still continuing to rise even in the current circumstances because outdoor is is key at the moment. Yeah, it is. But we've had our, we've had our, <laughs> we've definitely had our challenges. It hasn't been all, uh, you know, upward graph in that sense. It, you know, at, at one stage our outdoor model was completely closed. Um, it was a very, very dark moment for Sam and myself, who's my, my, my partner and the technical founder of BUA. Um, but I think what, what the decision that we made very quickly was, um, how can we add value right now? That was the question we asked ourselves. And, and how we add value in that pre present moment was doing you know, a short-term build for connecting consumers and trainers in the outdoor market. And that was no longer compliance due to um the crisis and um, we just connected them in an online environment and so yeah it's been it's been a fantastic journey so far and we have had our ups and downs and thankfully we're super grateful that we are growing in um, a market and an industry that um is, is is having a bit of a tough time you know um and i think that's kind of that's kind of the, the fruits of, of identifying that, you know, there is a need for, for different solutions in the market. And this, this way of, of this kind of 1980s, 1990s way of trying to get fit was you went to the gym or you went for a run um, and you're seeing all these amazing solutions evolve over time with group fitness and the likes of the, in the indoor market uh, where the consumer gets a lot more of an experience uh, with what they're purchasing. They're not just purchasing, you know, their 10 or 15 pounds into a class to be told what to do, when to do and how to do it. But they're also purchasing 
um, an hour of, 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 of a time with people and it's social um, and comparing things to even to the likes of the, how the, 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 the training from home market has evolved with the, these amazing brands like Peloton and stuff. So I definitely think it's a time of change in the industry. Um, and thankfully, we had noticed that three and a half years ago and not right now. <laughs> bit of foresight there which is uh, yeah. it's always always something that is useful to have so uh, I guess a, another question that uh, we, we probably have touched on previously is, is kind of um, expansion and, and where you see this going in sort of next five years and I don't know if your plans have had to drastically change I was chatting to someone yesterday who um, was was in the um, fundraising section and works for a children's hospital and was saying that their their five year plan has has almost completely changed over the course of the last six months. So whether that's a similar outlook for yourself or whether you've still got this this broad stroke plan and you're aiming for for somewhere. Yeah, like it is difficult. I mean, we have a plan, um, but I can assure you that that plan has never actually been how things have materialized from day one of the I think it happens the plan is great to just have some context around and clarity around like what your vision is um, but I think it's actually the art um, of, of I suppose founding anything is being able to step off the yellow brick road when you feel that is necessary um, and I think it's a fine balance of like using um, your your plan as well as your kind of good feeling based on how the market is is operating and, and, and it all comes back to the customer. You know, the plan operates around what the trainers want and what the consumers want and the plan changes as we bring on more of them. The plan is, you know, over five years is to definitely um, – penetrate the the london and the uk market with the with the plans to to be expanding internationally and, and target the fitness capitals of the world uh, whether that happens in a five-year period or not it's just sometimes difficult to ascertain you know <laughs> um, so yeah we we definitely have huge huge plans it just depends on, on on what becomes a priority and that's why i think going back to the first question you answer me of what my role is the two questions i ask myself is is okay um what takes priority today when i wake up the business we're building right now in the present or the business that we're we're building in the future and sometimes you got to swap back and forth between the two <clears throat> very interesting and and you know great explanation for any kind of budding entrepreneurs or people who, who are looking at starting their own business um it, it is that trade-off between what's happening today and what, what can i offer you tomorrow that is um yeah a great you know well surmised by yourself so um i guess just on that that kind of point what drove you to go down this road of, of starting your own business and um and how did you kind of personally turn in turn this corner into you know essentially being your own boss and and, and launching your own business was it a conscious decision or was it something that's kind of evolved through time it's a great question actually it's a bit of a it, there's a couple of ways of answering this so firstly um it definitely comes from a bit of dna in the sense of i i know that i was born as uh, someone that gets up and does things i've always had a passion for um working and earning money and like just kind of being uh, independent and my father uh, thankfully um had a um a hardware business uh where he would supply some of irish ireland's biggest retailers um across a number of different products and i used to like it wasn't ever a chore it was a, something that i wanted to do but anytime there were school holidays i was in there working with him understood his business from the ground up from working in the warehouse to when I was um, 18 years of age when I came out of Castanet College and my bridge into into Griffith College I worked with him for a year managing big accounts and doing sales um, and like I was the kid that was being dropped up to the farmer to pluck turkeys to earn extra money to washing cars to knocking on the neighbor's door to see if I could do any jobs 
so that was one element of it um, that I knew um, I had that kind of um, characteristics of someone to start a business. That was one thing. Um, the second thing was, um, yeah, like when, even when I was in Griffith, I, I, I had set up something with two friends that was very successful, Trees on Wheels. And that was my first experience in in terms of like a proper business format outside of like a little side project. I used to like even sell stuff to, to teachers in school. <laughs> like that's how, that's how like how, how much I loved uh, selling and working and making money. But going back to the kind of trees and wheels thing, that was my first time uh, like really identifying a problem and using a technology and my sales and marketing skills to, to, to grow that. Um, and there was a big decision after I left Griffith, I went from there to do a master's in um, Smurfit Business School and marketing. And I sat down with my father because um, over the course of my studies, I, I, I ran Trees on Wheels, which was a seasonal trading business in terms of when we could generate revenue. But um, it was pretty much a six, seven month project over the course of the year. Um, but I, I remember it was 2011 when I finished up. It was just a year's year master's. And um, I remember sitting, chatting to my dad and I was just like, look, all I want to do is work on a business full time, you know. And it was obviously not the best of times to be taking huge risks. And we made the decision then um, as, as father and son for me to go and get some experience and build a career in my 20s. So off I set over to London um, and I pursued a role in, um, in, in, in foreign exchange. Um, so deliverable foreign exchange, real money trading. Um, actually, like just to put that into context for the listeners, like if one of our, um, one of our big accounts was actually a company that just, just got highlighted a unicorn, Gymshark, um, I would have traded their overseas revenue back to uh, the UK. So it was a really, really strategic entrepreneurial role. So I started my way up in sales and then worked my way into kind of leadership roles. And I think the biggest transition from there was working um, for someone else was, there was a lot of work that needed to be done in terms of like um, training my mind for the transition. Like, there's a huge difference in terms of um, the attitude and the mindset you, you need to have for working for someone else compared to actually being fully responsible for everything that you do. Because um, there's no one, there, there's no one to push you but yourself. So it was a combination of um, it being there from a very young age to me wanting and needing to get some professional experience and then me kind of being on getting to a stage where I was just unhappy no matter what the role was and then I planned my execution which was over over a couple of years you know uh, whereas bootstrapping bootstrapping was essentially working um, on Buford in the morning before work working on Buford in the evening and, and at the weekends so very comfortably doing 100 hour weeks for a very long time and um, so it was a very long process to get out of there at the moment was I was about 27 I was just like this is not me you know um, I've got to find what I love to do um, and that's kind of it was a real kind of fed up moment uh, <laughs> to share with you Alex you know it's uh you know it's an inspirational story um obviously you've you've had that entre entrepreneurial spirit for you know through, throughout your life um and just i guess for for context for the listeners i know this story we've, we've chatted about it before but the the trees on wheels uh, side mm. of things uh you mentioned that so um do you just want to quickly summarize what that business was because i think it's genius um but obviously the 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 listeners uh will just know trees on wheels as, as you've mentioned it but yeah if you could just summarize what that business was yeah of course i think um what it was was a simple a very simple platform to buy a christmas tree to the comforts and you ordered it online and it came to the comforts of your own home so the problem that we solved was removing all of the hassle with purchasing a christmas tree and the kind of um the win for us was the kind of like real um, added benefit was if you ordered a 10 foot tree for Griffith College let's say 
um, our team would arrive out with a selection of 10 foot trees. We didn't just arrive with one. Um, um, so you got to choose the perfect tree uh, without that hassle and pulling it into the car. And then we even rocked back up in January and collected it for you and chopped it up and recycled it. And it was, it was, uh, it wasn't um, my original idea to be super clear. I'll never take the credit for the idea. Originally it was a good friend of mine, two good friends of mine, Brian, Brian and Dano, and they set it up in, in Fox Rock where um, it was just very much so operating from a contact list, friends, mutual friends, family. Um, and they did it one year and I did it down in Kildare. Um, and when I did it in Kildare, I rented a space in an ESO garage. It was like 50 euros a day. And I just, I really got to live and breathe the problem because all the customers were saying, here, any chance to pay a fiver and I'll drop it up to the, drop it up to the house. And I was like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> That's literally 400 yards away, you know? And I knew the two lads were doing this. So I, I had a conversation with them and I was like, let's come together. Like, so then I, my idea was not the original identifying the problem. My idea was around scaling it and coming together with the guys. So the three of us came together and I was responsible for building the website, doing all the marketing, the sales. And my, that year I did in the ESO garage before I joined up with the lads. Uh, I'll never forget it. We got um, myself and my buddy, uh, Pete Conway, we got 160 trees, got a lend of a couple of thousand pounds from the old man, you know, and uh, he, um, uh, thankfully I got it back to him. <laughs> we actually made, we made a small profit um, and um, we sold 148 trees that year. And then I'll never forget in the fourth year, the final year in Griffith, uh, we did 1,212 trees. Um, in a three-week selling period across Dublin. Um, and that was the level of scale that we got it to um, in a seasonal business based on solving a core consumer need, you know? <clears throat> I mean, um, you know, it's it's entrepreneurial spirit at its finest. And and as, as I've mentioned, I, I have heard that story before, but it, it's just one that evokes kind of, uh, I don't know, it's almost like a heartwarming story as well. It's one of those where you just see someone testing the waters for the first time and, and getting out into that entrepreneurial environment and really growing and spreading their wings and and the scale that you took it to is very impressive and, and it's something I've never seen as a business since really um, and you know it would definitely get rid of all the arguments about you know do we want a 20-foot tree or, or do we just want a, a six-foot tree that'll actually fit in the living room and um, yeah getting in the car I've fought with many a Christmas tree in the car uh, <laughs> So yeah. it's, it is a great idea and yeah I, I, uh, I think it's it shows that entrepreneurial spirit that you had from from a young age and that's the same spirit that you've taken into the business that you've got now yeah fingers crossed anyway yeah but it was actually a really tough business to make work because if you think about it like people would frown upon a seasonal business but a seasonal business is actually much more difficult to execute because you only have the season to make a profit whereas a year a year running business like Bullfit, you know, we can have a bad month or a bad quarter, but recover. You have a bad couple of weeks in a seasonal business, you're pretty much fighting to break even, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and there's no point in, 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 in running any business, you know, with a loss, is there really, um, for, for a certain period of time anyway? Um, so yeah, it's definitely helped. And I think that was my mindset with it. It was never to like grow the brand to be selling, trees around the whole country and moving to like Cork and Galway and Belfast. It was just a learning project. Um, how do we solve this problem? How do we grow it? How do we deal with consumers? You know, dealing with consumers and that's that that experience now is really having an impact in Buford because um it's it's a tough business when you're dealing with consumers and, and we're dealing with consumers as well as businesses trainers are small businesses so we've got double the problems double the workload being a marketplace business so yeah it it, it, it really really helps with getting a lot of experience um around business basics you know <clears throat> exactly and um yeah thank you for, for sharing that story again um so i guess 
we, we better drop it in, uh, seeing as it's very topical, how your business has kind of had to adapt. You've, you've touched on it already slightly um, due to the, the current kind of circumstances. I know from, from a college perspective and, and a personal perspective, a lot has been pushed online uh, and a lot of in-person things have been been shelved and moved and you know it's, it's something that everyone's having to deal with at the moment you mentioned that you were, you were offering online um versions of the the fitness classes have things kind of started to go back to normal now because i know restrictions have started to ease in the uk yeah so i think the core reason of how we've been able to pivot and adapt and and, and work at the speed we have goes back to a decision that Sam had made in, in the infancy stages. And it goes to show how important it is. Um, you know, a certain level of research needs to be done um, on any industry, uh, consumer or, or market, qualitative and quantitative. And that's the likes of stuff that, you know, Griffith and Smurfit have, have taught me. Um, cutting corners and anything that you do uh, will, will definitely lead to problems down the line. And that's one thing we didn't do. So if you look at the outdoor fitness industry as a whole, uh, with the greatest respect, it's made up of some fantastic trainers. Um, but there is no technology there to service consumer needs in the likes of 2020. Okay. Um, and this, the, the theory of any startup is build something relatively low quality, push it out to market, six months, get an MVP out there, get users, get feedback and build the quality. We broke that rule. We did not follow theory. We built an MVP of um, a lot of quality. Uh, the technology, without getting too technical, it's built what's called for horizontal scale. Um, the app, the web app, I should say, it's not on the store. It's a web app, which means it's it's a website that's built for the for a phone. So all of our customers just add it as a home screen, and it, they click in, and it behaves exactly like an app. Won't bore you with the reason of why we went with a web app first, but um, so making that decision to 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 go low. Well, look, if we push something low quality into the outdoor fitness market, we have no differential point from a technology standpoint. So why would we do that? So we built something that was. Um, it took us nearly two years, you know, to get the the MVP out there. And, and while we were doing that, we were marketing the brand and doing manual connections through the likes of Eventbrite and WhatsApp and stuff. Um, and how we've been able to pivot and adapt through the crisis is if we did not make that decision and build for horizontal scale, what we would have had to do is pretty much stop the running of our service um, and build something um, from a back end and a front end kind of from scratch, whereas um, we can build things really fast by listening to our customer needs. Um, and that's really helped us be versatile um, helped us kind of move at speed um, and at we, me and Sam knew there was a load of other people that are kind of competing with us not for exactly what we do focus on outdoor fitness mainly the indoor market uh, and we knew that we would catch up time um, based on how we were building the foundations of the tech um, and, and look if that, I think if anyone's listening by no means do I think I'm sitting here thinking that like I'm this really successful entrepreneur at this stage now or not but I, I, I would I would clarify myself as a certain level of success of building something that didn't exist and getting it to market and being super happy with working on that project. That's how I see my success to date. But one thing I would say is, is, is if anyone is listening to this or building anything, spend all of your time looking for someone that you can build a product with in house, going through an agency and, you will never be able to be as versatile or hit that level of speed that we were in Buffett. Whereas if I had it just gave up and looked and went to an agency, I would have the product in the market. I can guarantee you we wouldn't be here now. So that, that decision that we made back then really resulted in us being able to pivot and adapt and migrate to online for the short term and then come back to being outdoor and now having them both work in tandem <clears throat> there you go very interesting and you know from my limited experience of um kind of web development and, and bringing apps through and, and things like that it's um i can see your point where you you've mentioned you know 
doing it in-house and doing it yourself you own the the whole thing then and and that that gives you that fluidity which you needed especially in this this current challenging time so uh again great foresight i think uh, maybe we should get you to do the the lottery numbers uh, for us <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, it even even makes sense if you just any any research on consumer needs now how 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 short of of an attention span does the average consumer have you know, so if you're getting on to someone and asking them to fix something quite small and, and you're a ticket and it takes them 14 days to turn it around over and above it being turned around in four hours, well, you're, you're going to build your business faster by keeping your customers more happy. Simple. <clears throat> there you go. I, uh, I, I love how it's, uh, it goes from kind of extremely high-end intellectual kind of thinking in terms of... Um, you know, building a horizontal app and then it can be brought right back down to a consumer level. And I suppose that's really important with, with the business and with how you've, you've scaled the business and keep it with any business really is keeping that consumer at the heart of what you're, you're building and what you're, you're going to be doing for the foreseeable future as well. Big, big time. And I think on that topic, Alex, it's good to share with you. I think that's where me and Sam are quite powerful and that this is kind of like, behind the scenes stuff and he would share with me that like um you know it's very important that when you're making decisions around your business or building the product that there is no ego the ego is completely to one side and sam has shared with me that a lot of developers have an element of ego that say no let's not listen to the customer this is actually how it should be and we just do not have that culture and that culture to me comes it's actually, it's very confusing to me because I've been in a customer service role, no exaggerations, pretty much since I'm 11, 11 years of age, working with customers in every different type of environment or format. And there is an element where definitely customers aren't always right, but 99.9% .9 of the time, just listen to them and give them what they want. Um, and, and, that, and I think that's, that's where Sam... Sam is, 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 from a development standpoint, very, very strong. He removes himself. We feed back to him, and he's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's move. And I think that's super important when building a product. Um, but you can't really, because like, we don't really have anything to copy off. You know, there's no marketplace for outdoor fitness. Well, we haven't found one um, yet. <laughs> Probably someone building one right now. <laughs> <laughs> there, there probably is somewhere so it's a, the world's a big place you never know you, you never know what bring it on bring it on <laughs> <laughs> um so i guess um if we if we just kind of pivot now into uh, a bit more about yourself if that's okay and yeah. um i guess the first thing we've kind of already touched on it was was um your decision to go and study with griffith and and to go into to studying business you know what kind of led you in that direction yeah, um, good question. So I think um, I've got to be honest. Um, I failed in 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 Castlemont College in the sense of uh, I had I had I had terrible leave insert results. Um, I won't name them because then it, it's a benchmark to anyone that's listened. But let's just say it was well below average. Um, so I was successful in Castlenock in, in other areas, you know, on the sports teams. And I was still to this day very grateful of being a, a prefect of the school. But when it came to, to academics, um, not, not me. I'm, I'm actually, um, I, I have an element of I'm dyslexic as well. So when it comes to, you know, learning things quickly from languages and um, any, anything numerical as well, which is kind of funny, the fact that I was a foreign exchange uh, salesperson and, and, and dealer for a long time, uh, which I can come back to. But what attracted me to Griffith was, is, is, was, I went from Castlenock to UCD and I did this course for uh, sports management and I failed at that as well. Um, and, and I just felt by just doing a bit of research around Griffith um, and speaking to other people, it was one, one, one learning environment that um, agrees with me. It's just like it being quite small and interactive and personable. Um, and I think that's, if you look at Griffith, like, Griffith has been 
my most the most successful um my first sorry most successful um educational environment you know and um, where i wasn't a failure all the time wasn't failing exams all the time you know so i think that definitely attracted me to to to, Brif, uh, to griffith and then it actually exceeded my expectation it was even better than that again and like just had so much like personable learning experiences and even uh, given an example of like one of my favorite classes about my favorite class was uh, going to Eilish O'Leary's marketing class you know and we had a great little cohort of lads and they all played rugby as well and some went to Castle Lock and we just it was that element of like working hard and getting the job done but also having fun and that's what the likes of a massive university um, doesn't deliver in a in a lecture theater you know um, well I didn't experience that anyway um, so it kind of came from kind of two failures in, in education to then just doing a bit of research and myself and my dad were like we felt that it was very important to to get third level education and then that actually gave me the confidence to Griffith gave me the confidence to go on and do a master's uh, in Smurfish um, so yeah, I, I I was that was really the kind of initial um, attraction towards the the college. <clears throat> Very inspirational, and you know, from the, there's there's lots of people out there that that have those sorts of failures, and and it's something that I suppose the education system um, kind of demonizes you for, which you know is is I would say wrong, and and for people to be able to reset and have a different option and to have a different form of education that they can can access is very important. The other thing I'd like to say is, you know, the best entrepreneurs out there, look at Sir Alan Sugar. He always says he didn't have a formalized education and look at look at where that's taken him. And it's having that that nous for for entrepreneurism and and you know honing that at Griffith has, has clearly helped, but then obviously going on to, to Smurf it has also helped as well. So yeah, thanks for sharing that very interesting uh origins of, of kind of where you come from and it shows that it's always um i suppose everyone's on their own path it's it's not the path that is is most followed it's the path that's right for you which is which is really important this is it and and before yeah just to kind of add into that it's it, it's the practical element and that's where i i i think that really fueled my success in griffith was i had the 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 side hustle of of trees on wheels and even stuff i remember it so well like even stuff of like learning a marketing based principle with eilish and then practically working on that on the business and i think that's to be constructive on 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 the educational sector um as a whole like not just even in ireland but um i think if there's more practical learning brought into the system and marry that up with theory-based learning you could just see students um flourish and develop very very quickly exactly so um i think we're we're getting to the point now where um i kind of we do we do a bit of a check-in just to make sure um you know it's been a tough time for everyone recently and i like to ask my guests um probably two two questions um the first being how is your current day-to-day -day working changed with with our current COVID restrictions and I know personally myself you know working from home has been a challenge and fitting things in um in that sort of way but also my my family's uh, in the UK and I'm in Ireland so it's been lots of video calls and quizzes and, and other sorts of things that, that have kind of adapted so you know how, how have you dealt with that sort of transition? Yeah it's been really difficult um, I would be lying if I didn't say if seven, I was kind of sugarcoated and say it's been fine um, it's been a huge challenge uh, Buafit operates from from two headquarters a technical one in Google campus um, and a, a fitness one in House of Sport in Borough um, and they are at opposite ends of the city so like a 15 to 20 minute walk and I am I, I thrive on on people um, I love uh, meeting people I love um, I love an office environment um, I'm not one of these guys that's like uh, I'm productive because I'm always disciplined to be productive I won't use an environment as an excuse um, but 
um, I'm, I'm I'm much more productive in in floating between the two. Um, so it's been huge, challenging. It's been very, very challenging. And I think how I've been dealing with is is maybe not putting as much pressure on myself to go as fast as I think I need to go. Um, and then secondly, be just being very disciplined on on uh, my own kind of well-being. Um, I do this thing called priming, um, where it's pretty much a start every single day. Um, I could get up at any time between half four and half seven in the morning, depending on how late I work. Um, and I just make sure that before I do anything in my day, um, I give myself 15 to 30 minutes of just time to myself where I'm away from my phone and I have my routine, which I will not bore you with. Um, but what it enables me to do is it, it helps me prepare my day for how I want it to go, um, how I think it will go, um, and how I don't want it to go. Um, and I think if you start your day with a certain kind of mindset and um, it just helps the day go a little bit smoother and i probably wouldn't have been as disciplined with that kind of um method when i was in my normal kind of working environment um so yeah it's been tough in summary and i've definitely put stuff in place to 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 make it a bit easier very interesting it's um i suppose it's been interesting the last few podcasts i've recorded to hear different mechanisms that people have brought in and and well-being and, and mental well-being has definitely been a theme that's run throughout and um yeah interesting i think you know priming something that that's i've read about before um is something that that is very useful maybe something that listeners can can do a quick google search after after the podcast and have a quick read yeah i think it, <laughs> it all comes through i'm a big fan of tony robbins is a love him or hate him i love him uh but it, it i got it from him uh to to share so if anyone's listening google him and he'll be able to help you out with a couple of things with that and and yeah it's, and then just even the simple things alex of like obviously i i i i love all types of training and obviously outdoor fitness is 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 where my passion is but i also love the gym i also love getting in there and i love lifting weights and i love swimming and i love skipping and i love all this type of stuff and like being in a, a founding role of of, of, of starting a business it's 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 inevitably incredibly frustrating like frustration builds up and sometimes you don't even know where it comes from um, and 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 lifting weights is a huge remedy of that so and i'm just a huge advocate of wanting the the, the fitness industry to be successful as a whole so even that impact of gyms being closed and um, has, has, has had an impact on me and i'm sure so many other people that that are listening and not listening to today you know <clears throat> exactly it's um i suppose it's a release for a lot of people and you you hit the gym on your way home after after work or you know on the way to work on your on your commute in so yeah it's definitely one of those <clears throat> where people have have lost an outlet i i know i've i've done a lot of um of walking and, and street walking and, and walking around the, the local neighborhoods and being able to get out more recently into into the hills and walking in the hills is doing me the, the world of good while while we're kind of on a, a gym embargo yeah. um but yeah uh fantastic so i guess this kind of draws us to uh to the end of the, of the yeah. podcast there's um there's three quick fire questions i'm asking every single guest um and they are uh quite broad questions um the first being uh the best piece of advice that you have ever received um yeah the best bit of advice there's a couple of ones um so <sighs> there's so many but i think this is a bit cliche and i'm sorry to share but i definitely think it's one of the most important because the reason why is I, I, I can relate to it in my own life is spend all of your efforts at finding out exactly what you want to do. Like um, whether you say that and define it as something you love um, to do, 
Um, because I myself, when I worked in finance, I liked it. Um, I never loved it. Um, and I'm very grateful that I've found uh, my, my passion instead of brokering currency and brokering fitness classes, you know, so I'm still the, I'm still the middleman. But when you find something that you really want to do and don't be distracted by a bunch of mates or a family or whatever, like my mum wanted me to be in the army. And she wanted me to have this safe, steady job as a policeman or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's an amazing career, an amazing job, but it's just not me. And, and I think the world is very much so made up of people making decisions around their career and pleasing other people. And that can lead to a huge level of unhappiness. And it did with me. I was, there was days on the trading floor when I mean I was miserable, you know? And so that would be my first um, bit it, and that's that hasn't come from any one person i'm a huge fan of you know listening to successful people and um i mean it's 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 i think it's a quote from from uh is it uh jim jim Rohn. it's very simple do what successful people do and you'll eventually get the the results of what successful people have you know so it's like that's not the, the direct quote but that 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 bit of advice is coming from just so many different corners and angles. But there's one bit of advice that, that kind of um, was shared with me on the trading floor actually. And it was a, an old, um, my old manager, Daniel Ray, top man. Um, and um, he just basically said to me one day, uh, you know, got, like we were behind on target or whatever. And such a simple phrase was like productivity creates opportunity. And I think if you marry up that, kind of um, bit of advice that the more productive you are, the more opportunities happen, which means you eventually get more results. It's such a simple thing. And if you find what you love to do, you naturally turn into a productivity machine. Like there's days that I sit back and I'm like, oh my God, how did I actually do that today? You know? And yeah, it might be over 16, 17, 18 hours, but and um, there's no way in hell I'd be able to hit that level of productivity and create that level, uh, a number of opportunities if I didn't love exactly what I do and I wasn't doing exactly what I want to do. So that would be my kind of best advice between listening to a number of different people, giving similar advice to one individual um, kind of moment from a, from a manager that just has resonated with me. Um, and have carried it through. <clears throat> Thank you very much. I suppose you know we all we all have those inspirational people that we uh, we meet along our, our careers. I know I've got uh, a number of my own um, inspirational people that, that have have guided me along my career, and it's it's always nice to hear that kind of importance of listening to colleagues um, along the way, especially when you're you know quite young or, or junior in, in in the position that it, it, they are there to help you and they are there to to guide you as well. So. That moves me nicely into the next question, which would be, um, what advice would you give a recent graduate that would uh, be entering the job market? Yeah, I mean, I think coming to answer that question, I had this perception of when I left Smurfit, I had to be successful straight away. I kind of was like not okay with, with failing and messing up. Um, and the advice, single bit of advice is, 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 is don't be too conservative, take some risk, be okay with messing up, be okay with failing because you really, really do learn a lot about yourself and your character and don't put this pressure on yourself to like having to be successful by a finite time, you know, like whether that's 27, 28, 29, like we're building Buffett um you know very much so we where it's it's an infinite process you know there's no finite line to it and i think that if you um have the attitude that you're <laughs> if you sit back and think that you're like in your career to whatever it might be your 50s 60s 70s or whatever you choose to retire and um, just enjoy the grind and don't and just be cool with messing up just be, just be cool with it. Like I knew going back to that conversation I had with my dad of, of, of looking to get a career. Like I, I, I knew that 
my CV was important. Don't get me wrong. CVs are very important. But for where I wanted to be overall, I knew I, I, I won't need, I, I won't necessarily need it because I've always wanted to do something myself, you know, and I, I'm not going to be interviewing myself, am I? So, <laughs> so yeah, that would be my kind of single best advice and, and, and apply that to what your ambitions are, you know, ambitions and success are very subjective things um, and just apply that to whatever your overall goal is. <clears throat> and that uh, leads us then to the, the final question, um, one that I know guests um, sometimes struggle over, which is the, uh, how would you describe Griffith College in three words? Yeah, I mean, um, definitely super personable, which I, I, I shared with you uh, earlier. Um, just a, it's just an amazing sense of community. Um, from everyone that you, you meet in uh, your your teachers and your lecturers to uh, the, the the cleaning staff or people in the cafeteria just everyone is just like super nice and friendly and that kind of community vibe is very special about Griffith um, and then again I think I'm, I'm echoing something similar to what I said earlier but it's it's a successful place to be um, in the sense of it's a successful place to start um, your career, whether it's in fashion or business or, or journalism. Um, they're producing some amazing success stories from an alumni perspective. And then uh, because it's such a personable, community-driven learning experience, the day-to-day -day operations of, of, of um, uh, Griffith is successful because... The students are happy, you know, the students are, are, are happy in, in, in the learning environment and the format. And I think that's how I would kind of describe my experience there in, in a nutshell. <laughs> thank you so much for, for being a guest and uh, you know, thank you for, for coming on and, and sharing your, your story with us. And hopefully the, the listeners have stuck with us. I know it's uh, a little longer than usual, but I was very excited to, to have this conversation. I knew it would be an interesting one to have uh, with yourself. So um, thank you very much. Uh, and thank you very much for everyone who's listened along. So thanks, Dave. Thanks very much, Alex. Appreciate you having me. And uh, yeah, all the best. I'm sure we'll, we'll cross paths very soon. <laughs> <laughs> thank you.